Welcome to Her Own Boss, the podcast and community designed to help you find your inner entrepreneur. Her Own Boss is created by Lucy, Megan, Ben, Sarah, Nikki, and me, Anissa, as we start our careers and learn from the inspiring women who can help us along the way. Hi everyone, and welcome to season four. This is your host, Nikki, and for our first guest of the season, I chat with Izzy Obeng, an entrepreneur, business coach, and professional speaker. Izzy is the founder of Foundervine, which helps women and young people from underserved communities start businesses by connecting expert mentors and successful companies with ambitious young entrepreneurs through events, learning programs, and coaching. I really loved learning from Izzy's experiences working with underrepresented entrepreneurs. And we also talked about how Izzy went from wanting to go into politics, to being a consultant, to starting a business. And she shares stories of some of the exciting people she's met along the way. Enjoy. This episode is sponsored both by Rise, created by Barclays, and Barclays Eagle Labs. Rise and Eagle Labs are on a mission to support female founders shape the future of entrepreneurship by providing access to networks, mentorship, and training. Search Rise, created by Barclays, or Barclays Eagle Labs to find out more. Hi, Izzy. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Before we dive into our questions, though, we always start with a couple of quick-fire icebreaker questions. Um, So I'm going to list them off. Just answer with the first thing that comes into your head, all right? Sure. All right. First question. Phone call or text? Text. All the time. Agreed. City break or beach holiday? Oh, beach holiday. I'm the same. And then the last one is, when I was younger, I wanted to be blank. When I was younger, I wanted to be an archaeologist. That's so cool. (laughs) I don't think I even knew what an archaeologist was when I was younger. (laughs) I just love the Romans and the ancient Egyptians and I thought that's what I want to do all day, dig them up. Um, But alas, I haven't. (laughs) There's always time, always time for a career change. So we've covered on the podcast a couple of times around the challenges and potentially some of the barriers that are faced by underrepresented entrepreneurs. But I'd love to go into it with a bit more detail with you today because of all the experience you've had working with these types of entrepreneurs. So just, you know, for listener awareness, I'm going to rattle off some stats here. So in the last 10 years, just 38 black founders have received venture capital funding. Only 10 of those were female. And then depending on which data set you look at, um, you'll see looking at just gender and not ethnicity, 1%, 2%, but always less than 10% of funding goes to females and all female founding teams. So from your experience working closely with underrepresented entrepreneurs, what are the challenges that face them beyond just access to funding? Absolutely. So the challenges are complex. And I think that it's so important to add the caveat that starting a business is incredibly hard. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, your background, starting a business is incredibly tough. However, there are challenges that are compounded um, based on your background, um, based on ethnicity, unfortunately, based on gender, um, which can make things a little bit harder for some groups of people. So a huge part of our work over the last few years has been working on understanding the specific 
nuances of starting a business as um, a founder from an ethnic minority background, starting a business as a female founder. Um, and what we hear from founders is the is challenges sometimes just getting into the room. So um, your social capital is so important when you're starting a business. And what I mean by that is the, the experiences and the networks um, and the, the exposure to certain social situations, which um, ease your confidence um, reaching out to the right people, you know, asking the right questions, being in the right rooms. And if you come from um, a, a, a particular background where you might not have had as much um, access to uh, investors, if you might not have had as much access to people from professional backgrounds, whatever it is, um, then you are starting on a bit of a back foot when it comes to knowing how to navigate certain social environments um, and how to kind of build um, relationships within them that eventually lead to the networking and the mentoring and the, and the funding. So um, simply kind of building um, social capital can be a challenge and really kind of understanding how to navigate certain spaces. Um, on top of that, when you are starting out, one of the uh, challenges that many founders find is that uh, they lack knowledge um, about a lot of areas of starting a business. Uh, there are so many things that you need to know in the beginning um, in terms of uh, what it means to build a more effective business model, what it means to you know, market your business, what it means to be a leader, all those things. And so knowledge and access to advice um, is often a challenge as well. Um, and the third biggest um, thing that mm -hmm. founders often cite is funding. Uh, when you're starting out, particularly if you are running a business that needs quite heavy investment in the beginning, a lot of tech businesses are that way, accessing the kind of funding, the kind of startup funding you need in the beginning can be incredibly difficult. So I say those are the main challenges that um, I often find founders say to us, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like the way you kind of frame that around social capital, because I think the environment that you grow up in will influence your confidence and then it will influence those other things that you mentioned so even having the knowledge of you know what does it mean to start a business what do i need to do first second third and then knowing people that will invest any money into your business to get you started and to kind of quote one of the data sets that i mentioned at the beginning as well so they found that over 40 percent of founding teams that did receive funding in the last 10 years had at least one founding member who went to oxbridge so with that in mind how do you education impacts the likelihood that you would first of all even consider an attempt entrepreneurship but then also your ability to succeed in that yeah so it's often um it's a really interesting um question around education because it often gets left out of the equation and um some recent research by cornerstone partners found that um you know where you went to school what university you went to makes a huge difference in terms of um who gains access to venture capital and um, people are humans and we make assumptions about people based on, you know, where, where they went to school and, you know, the, the implicit assumptions people can make um, have a huge impact. Um, old boys networks have a huge impact. So mm -hmm. lots of different factors, which mean that where you went to school is unfortunately one of those biases that um, investors and stakeholders may take into consideration when it comes to, um, you know, uh, knowing whether you are the right person to invest in. Um, and so I think there's two parts to that. Um, there's a piece around how we actually tackle implicit biases um, mm -hmm. in the venture capital space. Um, and there's a piece around how we 
um, ensure that we are supplementing the education that founders have when they're starting a business um, to make sure that they have everything they need to uh, boost their credibility, to show their, that they, they have just as much um, of what it takes to start a business as anyone else. Um, because if you look at Oxford and Cambridge, if you look at a lot of Russell Group universities, there's a heavy investment in terms of additional support for entrepreneurs. There is access mm -hmm. to funding. There's a lot of um, there are a lot of opportunities to um, test out businesses and get involved in different ways. And so, as much as it might be about biases, there's also a piece around how you can actually supplement um, a lack of education um, on business in some communities where people might have not had. Um, access to to that additional support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought both of those up. So around implicit biases, we're actually releasing a mini-sode this season around um, conscious inclusion and how you, that you can use that to kind of get around some of the unconscious biases we might have. So that's just a little uh, signal and advertising boost for that one. Keep an eye out. Um, <laughs> and then, yes, <laughs> supplementing education will definitely go into more. I'll have you explain what Foundervine actually does for the benefit of our listeners. Um, but I also, before we go into that, I wanted to ask a question about how intersectionality plays into the way people might experience some of these challenges. You know, there's a very diverse range of identities someone could have. Do you think that the challenges are the same and therefore there's one solution or it's just very complex and we need to kind of look at groups perhaps in isolation to their experience? It's a great question. Um, being more nuanced in terms of how we support people and how we lump people together absolutely because mm. um my experience as um a, a black woman from a working class background in london will be completely different from um a young man growing up in liverpool um in a working mm -hmm. class background versus you know a muslim woman growing up in a rural village in dorset like it's it's it's, it's so different and we are so complex and I think that sometimes when we talk about differences with people we use them as kind of blunt instruments and unfortunately we are all so complex and our needs are so complex and there are ways that we can contextualize the support that we provide people to take into account those differences um you know a, a really easy example is the fact we often talk about how so much of um, the networking that takes place um, in corporate spaces or in um, in startup ecosystem takes place um, around around drinking um, and in so many cultures um, drinking isn't something that um, people do or women are um, you know encouraged to do and so what does it mean to be supporting um, a female founder who may come from a background or a religion where that's not appropriate and actually create an environment in which they feel uh, they are still able to build relationships, they still have access to the same support. Um, real small example, but I think there are ways that we can take into account the, the complex differences um, that people have and kind of design interventions um, which meet their needs in different ways. Um, and acknowledging um, that there is intersectionality, acknowledging that our experiences are different and you are not just black, you are not just a woman, you are not just um, a Christian or a Muslim and just really speaking to the things that make up that whole person um, will inevitably mean that we design better programs, we offer better uh, support to people who are trying to innovate and grow um, within industry. Yeah. No, that's great. I think that's 
really good answer and some really great points. And hopefully from what we've just discussed and what you've just shared with us, it's obvious to people why increasing access to entrepreneurial opportunities is important. But I guess for you, in terms of your personal mission and maybe Founder Vine's mission as well, why is it important to be opening up entrepreneurship in this startup landscape to underrepresented groups? Sure. So it's been a real mission of mine to support people from all backgrounds um, to build businesses, to have a go at creating projects and building enterprise and digital skills, because I recognize the kind of economy we're moving towards, a, a digital economy where anyone with a laptop and an idea can build something really, really exciting. And there is absolutely no reason in 2021 and beyond why everyone shouldn't have a complete equality of opportunity when it comes to building the, the businesses um, and the social enterprises and the charities that will really change our future. But unfortunately, not everyone has access to the same opportunity. And it's still just disproportionately determined by the school you went to, as we've been talking about, mm -hmm. or the area you grew up in. And I just don't think that should be a barrier. So I see myself as a bit of a, an, an activist um, before I am a business person or an entrepreneur yeah. or whatever. But it's so it's so important that if you have um, a level of privilege and my privilege comes from um, you know having really supportive parents who encourage me to do anything and having the opportunity to go to schools where I was really, really encouraged and um, realizing when I got to university that there are so many businesses and social enterprises who fail so early on because they do not have access to the networks, the, the support, the knowledge um, and the resources that they need to grow. And I knew I had to do something about that. So Foundervine was really born from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I can like feel your passion when you start talking about that as well. It's like really making me smile. No one listening to this is going to know that, but I'm smiling. <laughs> <laughs> So Foundervine has also partnered with some like incredibly large organizations. So I wrote a list down here, people like PwC, Lloyd's, Barclays, Monzo. Um, I saw you did an event with Lewis Hamilton recently, which is insane. I also watched an interview you did with Meghan and Harry for the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. And I really fangirled at that, but I'm like now what one or two degrees separation from them. I think that's really cool. Yes. <laughs> um, actually first how was that experience what was that like we'll go into that and then i'll ask my more serious question okay no you're you're more than entitled to ask this question because even um it's been just over a year now and i'm still yeah. pretty dazed that that happened um, <laughs> i'll tell you what it was like in the lead up to it so um queen's commonwealth trust is an incredible organization who have been running um programs support um, young people and kind of build connections in the Commonwealth um, for only a few years. And um, when they called me and told me, you know, that they had an opportunity for some of their young leaders to um, be interviewed by two senior royals, um, oh. inevitably, I was kind of like, oh, imagine if it's Charles and Camilla <laughs> rather than <laughs> um, Harry and Meghan. But all the same, it would be incredible, of course. But 
you know, knowing knowing who they were. Very cryptic, being... like two senior royals. That's they really yeah, keep it under wraps, so don't they? And also, I couldn't say a word to anyone, so I was staring at my husband, and you know, just being like, um, <laughs> and so when it was finally confirmed, only about forty-eight hours, I think, or something like that, before it happened for security reasons, I was just floored by it. And um, you know, what do you say? What do you do? What do you wear? And what oh, was yeah, what so do you wear? That's a big one. Disarming. Yeah, what do you wear? What was so disarming about them is how lovely they are. So oh. down to earth. Two people you could probably have a drink in the pub with. And it was just kind of completely, I think all of us were a bit taken aback by how immediately warm um, and friendly um, and engaged they were. And telling telling them about Founderbine, you know, your girl from a council estate in Tottenham, like just telling them about Founderbine and what we've done, it just really made me realize that when you work hard and when you believe in something, anything is possible. And if you really, really have a mission and you have something you want to do, and people might be telling you, mm, don't risk it, stay where you are, do what you think. You know, the fact that in two and a half years after deciding to quit my job, start some, something from mm -hmm. scratch with no money, I could be sitting in Buckingham Palace and telling Harry and Meghan about this thing that I built. That was really special. That's so cool. So validating as well to be recognised by, you know, people like Queen's Commonwealth Trust, Harry Meghan, but all of those other organisations as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, where I was going with that question before getting sidetracked and like excited about all these cool people you've met, um, where do you think the real impact lies? Do you think it's with, you know, government? So you originally had an interest in politics. Do you think it's with large corporates or, you know, do you feel like it's the entrepreneurs who are on the ground that are really making that impact? Yeah. So, um, and just going back to your previous question, it's been very intentional to build partnerships with corporates, with industry, because we recognize that industry has a unique position in our society. They, um, they're filled with brilliant people who are often quite mission driven and want the opportunity to give back to communities. They have resources um, and they invest in the communities around them, or at least they should do. Um, and they also have experiences with structures and processes and often have best practices for how organizations should be run. So in so many ways, supporting entrepreneurs should be second nature to businesses. Um, and on top of that, you have the diversity inclusion piece and you know the recruitment piece. You want to be an organization that is attractive mm -hmm. to talent. You want to recruit people from diverse backgrounds to your organization who are amazing. What better way to um, to do that than by providing your um, your staff of opportunities to mentor and support and bringing these incredible entrepreneurial young people into your company to see how brilliant you are. And so there's lots of different kind of ways, you know, the business case works for um, supporting entrepreneurs. And um, we've always known from the beginning that our model would be partnering with corporates to deliver the kind of support that we want to the future, mm -hmm. um, the future businesses that are going to change our economy. And so um, that's a corporate piece. And um, in terms of your point around um, how important it is, we recognize that everything is interconnected and we take a real holistic view to everything. So we've um, 
been invited to, to number 10 a couple of times. We have um, been invited to contribute to, um, to research and reports um, that government do in terms of entrepreneurship and how they can be more supportive. And we recognize the importance of government and, you know, uh, the civil service as a convening power. You know, they really set the tone and set the agenda for how we should um, how we should support entrepreneurs, you know, what we should do. And they have a, a unique ability to bring people together and make things happen. Um, so it's been very intentional for us to bring government, both at the local level, um, we work for a number of councils, and also at the national level, really bringing together those powers that be um, and working with them and industry to kind of create the kinds of interventions um, that we need to really, really help young people build the skills that they're going to need for the jobs of tomorrow yeah no that's amazing and I don't you know there's never been a more important time to be doing that than you know a year into a global pandemic I think it's just fantastic all the stuff you've done and do you want to kind of share as well I feel like we've kind of referred to what Foundervine do do you want to kind of give the the elevator pitch or explain how Foundervine actually helps people Foundervine is a training consultancy. We specialize in startup and scale-up acceleration programs. Uh, we have been working across the UK um, and Africa for the last three years to design and deliver really, really high-impact programs for entrepreneurs and those who want to become entrepreneurs. Uh, we specialize in supporting diverse founders, uh, predominantly women and founders from ethnic minority backgrounds. And we partner with corporates, with uh, venture capital institutions, with universities, with local government um, to build the kinds of programs that really make a difference. Perfect. That was perfectly delivered. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Um, so what do you think are the kind of like main... I guess the main skills that people learned through some of the Foundervine programs, like if you had to summarize the sort of starter pack, I guess, for an entrepreneur, what would those skills be? Sure. So the core things that we teach vary from program to program and by the stage that that person is in their journey. So at that earlier stage, for example, a lot of our programs focus on ideation. So idea generation, um, building critical thinking skills, um, market research, um, understanding uh, what it takes to build a business model for the first time, just really, really building core business concepts. Um, and then the further along you go into the journey, um, we then deliver more work that focuses on investment readiness, um, operational competence, uh, governance and compliance, um, legal essentials, all those different ingredients that really make a difference when someone is starting a business. Um, our programs are also highly interactive and they are designed to go at the founder's pace. We recognize that grow growing a business isn't linear. You know, you don't need to know legals one week and then need to know marketing the next, no. So we design a lot of our content to be consumed in the founder's own time. Um, we mm -hmm. build in coaching and mentoring onto our programs. So founders are able to focus on the things that matter to them in that very moment, as opposed to a kind of um, structured classroom style um, learning. And we also recognize that learning is only part of the equation when you're joining any of our programs. 
the networks you build on it are in some ways more important than the learning mm -hmm. that you gain from it. And so we're very intentional in terms of um, connecting people to each other and connecting people to the institutions and the individuals that might be able to um, to help their business grow in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds really well, obviously really helpful, but really impactful as well in the way you've really thought about how entrepreneurs would want to consume this content. It's not necessarily a linear experience where you're like, okay, I'm you know ready to learn about marketing now. It just, it comes when it comes. On that point then, so based on your experiences as a founder, what are the three top tips that you would give to other aspiring entrepreneurs? Sure, so tip one, is to start before you are ready. Um, I am Ooh. speaking to all the perfectionists in there, the high achievers yeah. who think that they need to have the T's crossed and the I's dotted before they take their first move. Start before you're ready. Start when it's messy. Start when it's imperfect. Start when your friends will take the make out of you. Just start, <laughs> get that feedback and keep moving forward. Because um, the worst thing is that if you wait until you're ready, you put something out there and the whole world has moved on. So start before you're ready is number one. The second thing is build the network before you need it. So are you in corporate at the moment? Are you kind of working within an organization, but you know in a few years time, you might wanna branch out. Start building that network now. Start speaking to the people and meeting the people that you think are interesting um, in your future career. And you never know where people might come into your life. You will absolutely never know. And I think the, the, the greatest thing when you are building that network is realizing that when you're finally ready to pursue your passion or do whatever you want to do, you will be launching to a whole room full of people who um, are excited and energized um, and encouraging of your business. And it's because you've taken that time to nurture those networks way before you needed them. The third thing I would say is do not be afraid to ask for help. Um, I know for some of us, asking for help can be quite difficult. It's a, it's it's showing vulnerability. You know, you you want to be the one that does it, and you know maybe for those of us who come from consulting, like me, you're kind of paid to be the one that has the answer to everything as well. So asking for help can can be um, it can be a bit too vulnerable for some of us, um, but. People love to be asked for help. It's so flattering um, to be asked for help. Yeah. And you have all of these people um, around you who have been there, done that, have a fountain of knowledge, can save you a ton of money, save you a ton of stress. All you need to do is say, can you give me an hour of your time? Um, think about how you can you know, uh, repay that person, even if it's just a thank you or offering them some help in their business take the opportunities you can to learn from other people and don't be afraid to ask for help. That's amazing. Those are three really, really good tips. We'll definitely implement them in my life as well. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm speaking to myself as I'm saying it as well. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that point about asking for help, it always feels really uncomfortable, but it's not a bad thing to not know everything. So my final question, and I ask this to all of our guests, is around confidence. Um, because I think one of the things that as a team, you know, we've seen it through research, but we've definitely felt it in our own lives as well, is that sometimes it feels hard to build up the confidence to just do something, um, going back to your tips as well. So my final question is, what gives you confidence? You know what? So 
when I started out my career, I used to be so, I was so nervous when I started out in corporate. Um, I'd gone from being someone who was super confident and knew what they were about to kind of being in an environment where I felt quite small. I felt, I didn't really feel encouraged. I didn't really feel like I fit in. Um, and that really affected my confidence a lot. And what I learned over time is that no one, no one has got the answers. <laughs> we are all just making it up with the knowledge that we have in that moment. And the only way to really, really build that confidence is to learn as much as you can about other people, you know, take opportunities for them to share and you know, go for coffees with senior people and find out more about areas that you don't necessarily know that much about. And you will learn quite quickly that no one's smarter than you. No one has a special book that they're reading from that you haven't seen. Um, we're all just trying to figure it out. And um, so my confidence comes from knowing that there's nothing that is lesser than anyone else. And there's nothing that's more than anyone else. Um, we're all just at different stages in our journey trying to figure it out. And I think particularly as women, particularly as people who might come from uh, different, say, non-traditional backgrounds, we hold a lot more of that weight that we are not good enough or we are not the right fit. And it's so important to realize how you absolutely are. You absolutely are. I love that. That's really well put. I'm also someone that has had to realize that it's okay to just fake it till you make it because lots of people That's are. It. Look at you saying exactly what I want to say, but in far We're on the words, same page. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I love it. So thank you so much, Izzy. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season four. And if you did, then why not check out some of our previous episodes? Be sure to join our community and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn by searching Hire and Boss Podcast.